0: All, all right, right, you ready? Yeah, let's do it. You're listening to Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight, the films of Radley Metzger on the Big Papa Online Network on Block Talk Radio. Welcome to the, uh, wow, this is the last episode now of the fifth season of Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Mr. Lewis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. Tune in, turn on, and take a step outside the mainstream as we dig once more deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television right here on Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine. So, tonight, we're talking the films of Radley Metzger, who more or less, the find porno chic in the 70s. He was not the first, but he was certainly the first who brought things over almost to the mainstream, starting off with some, you would think they were European films, but they weren't, and moved from that softcore sort of a thing, celebrated by the likes of Andy Warhol, for example, over into straight-up hardcore under the name of Henry Paris, and did some equally celebrated material under that aegis. He went back to the mainstream with one film, and then I guess he just kind of evolved Now, this is a show where I can only speak to about eh, 50% or so of the films we're going to talk. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, for reasons we'll get to along the way so uh, you can expect to hear a bit more of the maven of sleaze tonight than our usual degree of back and forth <laughs> <laughs> as he fills in on the films that i don't have my hands on actually those who know who remember my couple of reviews for the henry paris films on third eye cinema the fellow that we were dealing with who's distributing these had said oh yeah you know i'm gonna get you i was asking for maris gino cherry at the time because i enjoyed the other ones so much that i had none and he says oh yeah i'll get it to you but we're trying to upgrade it to blue because he'd already released it once, then he released a special edition, then he released it in a package, and he's like, okay, I'm trying to make it look the best I can, I'm going to put it on Blu-ray, all right, fine, and here it goes, years go by, (laughs) every once in a while, check in with him, did you put it out, yeah, oh no, still working on it, still working on it, and here we are now, and nothing's happened. So I was like, well, you know, you still got that box set of all uh, the Henry Paris films. You know, why don't you would send that over my way, and I'll do some reviews for you, but not a word. So at this point, the chariot may have left the building, if you will. Someday, if he ever does put it on, on blue, I may be able to see these missing films that Mr. Lewis Paul will fill us in So... Uh, <laughs> just to start off Metzger was born back at the end of the 20s believe it or not and see, so he actually has some film added to the permanent collection at MoMA in the Museum of Modern Art in New York City we'll get to this along the way I'm sure but he actually started out editing for Janus Films who put out a lot of things that later became, you Kino Lorber, I think, is the one that took it over, and Criterion uh, took over the Janus Collection, who was a big foreign art house uh, film distributor mm. here in the States. So you would get things like Bardot films, and Antonioni films, and Fellini films, and whatever else coming through their ages, and it was mostly them. By the time they came to VHS and DVD, you would always see Janus films this, Janus films that, Kino this, Kino that, so... He was also responsible for the dubbing for In God Created a Woman, which was the film that made Bordeaux such a big splash internationally. And the first time that she actually hit the U.S. shores and made a big deal. And, of course, we had talked about that during our Bordeaux show back in oh, gee, season one or two. He was also responsible for Audubon Films, who, again, brought over a lot of these uh Imports more of the softcore erotic sort of thing. Uh, You got a lot of films from Sweden that way. One of which we had discussed during our French show, which was uh, the Twilight Girls, where there was a very young Catherine Deneuve in it. But he had brought in some adult film stars or future adult film stars, like Georgina Spelvin, for some to spice it up even more for the New York crowd. So, is there anything you want to say about him before we get rolling? Uh,
1: Yeah, this is Mr. Lewis Paul speaking. I I know you put Mister there this time. Have you always done that? I've yeah, done it many I times. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, this is mister. Uh, well, it's better than, like, suddenly I become, like, uh, who's the guy who used to be the Olympic guy? Uh, Bruce Jenner. Yes. Like, this is Mrs. Lewis. I uh, am <laughs> uh, British now. Anyway.
0: Uh, so. <laughs> and I'm voting for Donald Trump, which makes most of sense. Anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. Anyway, this is, this is Lewis. And, uh. I I wanted to do the show because we we discussed a couple of times in the past adult cinema and uh, golden age cinema as well. Not too many shows. If anyone look on our, our backlog of shows, what we have, there's not a lot of shows about that, but there's a few. And I thought, you know, he's a very good, in my eyes, a very good filmmaker. Yes. And he's also a very... Interesting filmmaker. And he tried to do something with the idiom that heretofore did not exist and he tried to hang on when everything was changing. So I, th- I think Radley Metzger is very, very interesting. What I would like to add to what you had already said is and again folks, this is like research and you know, finding tidbits. We don't want to bore people too much. But when he was a kid, living in the Bronx and he was born in 29, Grand Concourse, Section of the Bronx, which i had been to not so long ago, and I have no idea if it's still the same, different change, whatever. This young Jewish kid loved movies. Hey, great. And he, there was the uh, a big old-scale movie house, the Audubon the- Ballroom Theater, Audubon Ballroom, which he used to frequent, and he loved going to movies. And that was like... You know, for many of us growing up, you know, when there were actually movie theaters we could go to, back in the days, and showing fun, great stuff, you know, some people would just be addicted to it. You know, it's just, everything was different, as opposed to now. He went to City College, you know, he did the whole thing. I, I saw he interestingly, interestingly study with Harold Klarman, which is like a big Broadway director, and I guess as a film student, maybe acting you know, he studied and you're right, he worked with uh, as a film editor with Janice and a lot of those old art films you know, Godard, Fellini, Bergman Antonioni and the like he cut a lot of trailers for French films to Americanize them perhaps to make them more palatable to You know, for American audiences, perhaps, but we're still talking the Mm mid-1950s, and so, you know, when he was working there. But, somewhere along the way, I I don't know where he got the funding, he joined forces with, with another person, and he created Audubon Films, and this is pretty big, because as you mentioned also, that they became... Another company, another company, another company, through the period of time. But, uh, yeah, Radley Metzger was Audubon Films. And
0: so the stuff they brought in, I.O. Woman, the Mac Albert. Yeah, I was actually had a list of films that Audubon had put out, and ones mm. that I had bolded. Feminina readings which was The Laughing mm. Woman, which is out on the desk and maybe Blu-ray as well, which was this weird, fumetti-style Italian flick with Dagmar wasander It's all about right. the Madonna horror complex, which is a big thing with Italian guys. Nura Subianco, which was a weird psychedelic Tinto Brass film about a mixed-race mixed uh, relationship. La Matriarca, which was an Italian softcore flick. It was also known as The Libertine. Uh, I don't have the soundtrack for that one. A film that came over here as Matt Adam O, which was a Naomi Tani revenge flick. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, she gets raped and goes around giving men sif. <laughs> <laughs> Le Bide de Desir which is a Max picus film Touches Skin he did some inserts on that one Warm Nights and Hot Pleasures a Joe Sarno film the film called Sexus which was Nuit la Plus Long from uh, José benazareth for a director that people may know The Moving Finger which was a beatnik crime film from Something Weird with Max from Heart to Heart Lionel Stander who had gotten blacklisted over here and worked a lot in Europe at the time Deux Valence, which is over here a sweet ecstasy you may remember that one we had discussed that when we did our French show and talked Max Pekas it's one of those okay summer jobs and also another one that he did with her uh, daniela by night oh and the warped ones which was also known as the weird Lovemakers back in its uh <laughs> something weird incarnation a kiyoshi Kurahara film which is actually in a box set from criterion these days so go figure <laughs> mademoiselle striptease a bardo film and le Colligien, which is one i talked about before the twilight girls with the young Catherine Deneuve, and uh, with those inserts he did with the young Georgina spelvin so those are the ones that really bounced out to me uh, did you have any others that you were looking at well, no, at
1: that early part of his, his career, no, I, I concur with you. I agree with you. Yeah, those are things he worked on, either trailers or maybe even recutting the films, dubbing them, being involved in that aspect. But then, at some point, and, and it didn't take too long, he got into directing, which is really interesting because, like, his first film was, like, something I found called Dark Odyssey. I haven't seen it, folks. I'm sorry. It was partially filmed in Greece, of all places, and it got a decent review from the New York Times. I don't see Radley having a Greek background, and I might have slipped my research. But it's a, a pretty much about immigrants uh, arriving from Greece into New York City. Uh, it's, it's following a, a well-known Alia Kazan film that had the same kind of theme way back when. And did it do well? I'm not quite sure. I couldn't tell you. Probably not, because Bradley spent the next few years going back to cutting, dubbing, and another film he directed.
0: About was four more, years later.
1: <laughs> about four years later. Yeah, you're with me on this, right? Yeah. When about four years later was The Dirty Girls, which apparently was American, as far as we can tell. Now, here's some really interesting stuff about this. The screenplay was by Peter Fernandez. The story was by Peter Fernandez. Mm-hmm. Why am I bringing attention to this? This guy was a dubbing voice actor. He was the voice of Speed, Speed Racer. Speed Racer. <laughs> yes, yes. Very nice man. He is now passed on, but I interviewed him several years ago. Well, many years ago. Okay, so Speed Racer came up with a racy movie. Ah! And <laughs> 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 but what Riley did? He, he went to Europe and he filmed this thing You know, because I guess the American Immigrant thing didn't work And probably close to his heart I mean, he he was obviously Jewish heritage Growing up in the Bronx But he wanted to write some kind of multi Make a multicultural movie The previous film And, and you know, I guess even though it got a good review It probably made a pittance So he did something about a liberated woman Growing, you know, in Paris And this kind of thing And yeah, I guess you got to remember, you know, since Peter Fernandez was a, a voice actor, primarily, as far as I know, you know, people are hanging out, you know, it's, it's a very communal atmosphere for a good period of time up to the mid-70s. So, I probably, you know, you got ideas, you have ideas, you have a script, you know, this kind of thing is going on. Uh, to my knowledge, the Dirty Girls didn't do much business, but the interestingly named Alley Cats did a little bit better, but we're back working in, I believe, in America. It's cheaper.
0: <laughs> uh, I've seen this. Have you seen the Alley Cats? No, no, I did not. I've seen the Black Alley Cats, which is a fun uh, something weird black Exploiter that we may have touched on on our black exploitation show. But <laughs> the Alley Cats itself, no. This is
1: also a screenplay by Peter Fernandez. Uh, this was, I think, released by Image at some point A long time ago. I watch it very. You know, there's one thing I I, I have to say that these early, also Audubon films production, mm-hmm. the uh, the photography is crisp, colorful. It's it's something I'm going to get into later with these kind of movies by him. Is that he's really almost, who can I compare him to at that time period for cinematography? I would say you know maybe Kubrick. Yeah, it's really. Awful. Yeah, really interesting stuff going on. But again, this is another movie that kind of got lumped into the not-quite-sexploitation sort of art house. Yes, thank you. Yeah, like more dirtier than innocent, but not quite, but innocent.
0: But, you know, it's a very, it's a thingy. It's fascinating to me that Peter Fernandez did two of these films because, you know, Speed Racer was definitely the role most people recognize him from, but he did a lot of cartoons and anime that were coming over from Japan. He did a lot of movies, per se, that were coming over from Europe. I mean, he was one of the big dubbing teams. A lot of times with Italian cinema, you see the Nick Alexander dubbing team. They do, like, dozens and dozens of these films. Well, one of the other big teams, probably the number two, was the Peter Fernandez team. Uh, I mm. think he was also involved with Robotech, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, oh, you're
1: right. Yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, he's all over the place, especially if you're involved in or interested in the anime area. He, That name will be instantly familiar to you. So the fact that he's here writing these, you know, I guess Euro softcore sort of things back in, you know, the mid-60s or so, right around the time he was doing Speed Racer, he was like, wow, okay. <laughs> it was like Arch Hall saying he wrote that pornographic novel that we talked about uh, back yes. when I interviewed him on Third Eye. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, these things, uh, you
1: know, we couldn't, I I personally can't say they're frivolous because they're very well shot. The the problem with some of these, I mean, if if I can call them a problem, the the issue, the issue I have with some of these earlier Metzger pictures is that they're, they're very dry, they're almost, yeah, art house, you know, the key art house movies. But we we can't call them really Sexploitation. We don't know what to, They were, I guess in hindsight One can say they're probably Almost undefinable What you could really do with these pictures Yeah? Carmen Baby The next one is really We have Karl Mohner, Which might be A fellow who might be uh, Recognizable from some German crime thrillers Maybe he was in a few Edgar Wallace Pictures. Alter Braus Same thing uh, so this time he worked in German and Germany and France, That's West right. Germany, France, and Yugoslavia. I've seen. I I think he took, from what I can tell, he took the story of Carmen and I readapted it for his movie. I've seen it, but to be honest, I don't want to mislay anyone. It's been a very long time since I saw it, so. <laughs> My memory of it is kind of weak, but I do remember Teresa and Isabel.
0: Now, you've seen that. I've seen it, again, and it's been a while. Uh, that was back in the days when I actually had Netflix, you know, when they sent the DVDs through the mail. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes, uh, yes, yes. But I don't own a copy of it, so I have not seen it since, you know, what's that okay. eight years ago, ten years ago now? So <laughs> yes, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a French English co production. Actually this one
1: cost him a bit of money. This was like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars American. Uh S. E. Pearson, who everybody rem- remembers from that. Lang Jeffrey's Mission's daughters, Sci fi, Spy Thingy, Please Therese. Anna Gale Isabel Barbara Log or Lage who was again in German. Edgar Wallace Time Things. This is it's pretty much girls go to a boarding school and it, again, this is the early period, but this is 68 now. So we're getting to this crossover, we're getting very close to this crossover period. Yeah. Where Audubon can then promote this film as more uh, sexual or more sumptuous than anything you've ever seen before. So Hansel of top of shots, shots of beer naked thighs, you know, it's again safe-ish if
0: the word exists and but do you notice that with his early films in particular mm. he's really kind of one of the, I don't want to say pioneers but he's really focusing on lesbianism which was still kind of a racy, racy taboo subject, at outre exactly at the time and you even got that in his inserts to The Twilight Girls, like we mentioned earlier. That seems to be his big focus here. With this film in particular, it's definitely focused on that, about a lesbian relationship. That seems to be his shtick in the early days. So just, just worth noting as we move along to other films like Score. Well, Camille 2000, I believe, would have been next. Yes. Uh, that and... film I like a lot. Well, first of all, you've got music in this one. He's already taken a big step up because the budget such as it is i mean he may have had a smaller budget than it looks like which says something almost bava-esque in that respect because i did see some extras on some of these films and the people involved were saying oh yeah you know he only shot this for so much we got this nice location here and then we just went crazy with it but there wasn't much money spent it was a quickie whatever and yet you're looking on screen you're like oh my god this is sumptuous his visuals really come to the fore at this point already I mean this is pretty early in his career and it's certainly if you will his first pivotal film in that respect it's like where you know okay this is a Radley Metzger film you can go right to Camille 2000 and there you go you already get the idea I believe he shut up in some Italian villa the cast is a mix of French and Italian more Italians but you know because the lead is a uh, Daniel Galbert and there's, I think there's one or two other French in there as well. But the rest of it is all the time. The music in this, again, taking another big step up. He doesn't get some low rank guy like he was using before. I mean, it was like Daniel Hard or some nobody. All of a sudden, here he's using Piero Piccioni, one of the bigger names in Italian soundtracks, those of you who were into that whole thing and collect those like I used to. I think he had also done the music for The Tenth Victim, you know, the yes. Ursula Andrus Master mm-hmm. film, among other things. Very jaunty, I believe a lot of organ use. So, you know, this is, it looks like, it sounds like, it feels like there was a tremendous amount of money spent on this film. Lavish costumes, it's very 60s. What I had said in my notes here was a stunning rich socialite swinger gets a little more attached than usual to her latest conquest quest, who comes from money, but is apparently constrained to student wages. In a scenario that's a bit more common than many of us would prefer, she imprints himself on him, and he falls head over heels, but he quickly finds she's more loose with her favors than he expects, and may actually be whoring for money among the jet set. But being a soapy romance sort of scenario, she finds she wants to give up her lifestyle to be with him, only then to have her sabotaged by his family, who assumes she's a gold digger and threatens to leave both of them penniless. So, of course, she walks out on the guy, on his birthday, no less. I actually knew him, a friend of mine and uh, got dumped on Christmas, literally. So Christmas Eve. Uh, so. Happened to me. Oh, you too? Oh, huh? wow. This is a common thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. I mean, goddamn women. Uh, anyway, nice. You, you really want to stick it to your boyfriend? There you go. Dump him on his birthday. Dump him on Christmas. Dump him on Valentine's Day. Happy uh, <laughs> right, to me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Why yeah. are you are doing better than Barry? Right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. She dumps on his birthday, which sends her back to an even more drugged-out swing. With because uh, she was already doing this beforehand, but now she's like totally wasted. Uh, with him winding up at the same parties, and one of them actually that kind of ends on is a weirdly flashy 60s-style shindig, complete with fake prison cells made like they of peanut gold and plenty of chains and slave collars. In the end, they reconcile, but she dies from an overdose anyway. Uh, yay. Uh, with an all Italian and French cast and crew, a Roman setting, and music by Piero Piccioni, known for his hip scores of the era like *The Tenth Victim*, like I mentioned, you'd be hard pressed to tell this is not a European production. Something you can equally say of his later *The Image*.
1: Oh yeah, uh, this is a very, uh, you know, it's a very very colorful film. Which which is one of Bradley's, uh calls, I guess. You know, one of the things he contributes to his films are very colorful. He's he's a master of if he didn't act if he wasn't actually the DP he knew what he wanted and he, yeah. he and, and I, as far as the, we'll get to the American picture shortly he knew what he wanted and he had a vision and it's very I guess growing you know I guess this is surmising growing up as a kid watching his movies in the Bronx at this This theater, which may have been an art house even when he was a kid. Maybe they're bringing in Jewish films and Israeli films and Russian films and whatever. He was probably exposed to international movies. And he got an affinity for a certain kind of production and, you know, a certain kind of look. And it it really carried over to when he was making these. At this point, we have to say they're certainly erotic films, but certainly. But they're very adult films, and they're, these kind of things for the time period were beyond what we were expecting, which, which was why they started to release these in the U.S., you know, with, with flamboyant advertising, was us say, in the papers. Where, you know, you'll be amazed. Nothing sexier than, you know, not sleazy, but, you know, very uh, more than, you know, you were expecting more than what you got. Sometimes when you saw these
0: moments. Right. I, I would have to say that. Then we got to the licorice talk contract. <laughs> Actually, yeah. There's one thing I'm reading off my page here, so I flipped my page, yeah. and there was more notes. So what I want to finish with on that one is there's a strong feeling, and I think you were trying to get at this too, of films like La Dolce Vita, if not Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, to all this swinging yes. 60s decadence, drug use, and bisexuality among the rich and beautiful, in stunningly aesthetic palatial sets and travelogue locales that its status as ultimately an early, if melodramatic. soapy soft core erotic film. Put simply, while it's doubtful Metzger and company actually spending a fraction of what it looks like, the film simply comes off as sumptuous, even dazzlingly so. Definitely recommend it if you have not seen a Metzger film and you want to start off a little bit safer, if you will. This is the one to go for. So, the licorice quartet, like you mentioned. Um, Okay, again, he's still spending money on this. He gets now, he goes to another big soundtrack named Stelvio Cipriani. He pulls in people that are interesting. I mean, I would still sort of call this an Italian production... But you've got people like Erica Remberg and Silvano Venturelli in this and Frank Wolf, which here oh let's see what I wrote here. Moving into weirder territory, Metzger now deals with a family that's a bit too close, where the seemingly decadent parents, the disdain of which cave of the living dead's Erica Remberg, lounges around in a leather cat suit, watch stag films with their son, who also appears in them from the look of it, though they never reference this in the dialogue. The apple trio then heads down to the local carnival, where the biker on the wall of death may or may not be the girl they just watched in the porno film. They bring her back home, and everyone gets screwed in turn by this girl. And we find out some dirty laundry along the way, inclusive of dark pasts, frigidity, bastard children, and worst. Did the girl even exist, or is it some stupid psychological film with unreliable narrators where everything's in the characters' heads? fuck that shit people love that uh, there's even a double ending just ins- to ensure the audience knows they've been fucked with royally you know people that write films like this and celebrate them how many fucking drugs are you taking reality is reality unless you're well there's arguments there but you know when you see something and you can touch something that's real otherwise you know really just get off the drugs <laughs> another gorgeous set this time a simply gorgeous Italian castle on the hillside more attractive ladies, the ostensible protagonists having just appeared as the Millie's Rebound romance in the aforementioned Camille 2000, plus an uncredited fifth cast member who's the hottest of them, and Annie Carol Adel of the policial-techy-almost-human and Bruno Mattei's entertainingly sleazy True Story of the Nun of Monza, and creepy, sleazy Euro-trash character actor Frank Wolf, who's appeared in more cult films, Jolly, and Spaghetti Westerns than you can shake a stick at, all enliven this weirdly claustrophobic character piece much akin to Polanski's bizarre cul-de-sac by way of the kinski slash faux Edgar Wallace creamy, Liz and Helen, also known as Double Face. It's no Camille 2000, but it's a lot more lavish than the film he followed this with. It's clear he's making some sort of semi-deliberate, stylistic, if not thematic, progression from film to film throughout his career. That's very good.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> no, very good. That's very good. Um, yeah, it's got a great cast. You got Frank Wolf, you mentioned, Eric Remberg. And, It's really interesting that this is the time period that these people are appearing in a lot of Italian films and uh, crime thrillers, mm, giallos, or thrillers, and he gives them really interesting roles, but in parts because he co-wrote it. And, you know, I I saw Michael Forrest, D. Forrest, was one of the co-writers of the screenplay, and I'm thinking, is actually Michael Forrest one of the Prime dubbing guys he used to work a lot in Italy, and it might be, it <laughs> might be. Uh, again, yeah, yeah. So we're bringing us back to that Peter Fernandez connection. You know, like Raleigh's, Don't forget, Radley's cutting a lot of stuff for Audubon. He's, he's doing trailers for Audubon of European stuff, and I'm sure these guys are dubbing the pictures. And they all. If this is the same Michael Forrest. He co wrote this book with Bradley, and they probably like. Hey, there's a lot of stuff going on in Italy. Let me tell you. So uh, <laughs> uh, they, they, they came up with this this really for 1970 kind of pro incest.
0: How was he going to go there? For? It's that. screwed up and incestuous. I don't, I don't care how you read this. There's two yeah. ways to read it. One that they're all drugged out and have no idea what reality is, and the other one, there's something really wrong with that family. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, uh, but but it's it's okay because it's not hardcore yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, thank God.
1: Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, folks. No, sorry about that, but it was a joke. But uh, <laughs> it's a very good film. It's a very interesting film, but again. It's very slowly paced. And, and the thing you would notice about these early films of Bradley Metzger is that the running times are really interesting. They're, for this kind of subject matter, my Lou, whatever whatever you want to call it, we're looking at films that are breaking the 90-minute barrier. Yes. Because he has drama. He has, you know, these people get a lot of really good monologues written mm-hmm. for the so it's really interesting and the, and the camera placement is very deliberate hence my previously repeated use of Stanley Kubrick. very deliberate camera placement I'm sure, I don't know if we ever get to talk to people later on in, uh, in some of our upcoming shows uh, scheduled and those not officially scheduled Yeah, I'm really interested in what it was to work with him as a director a film I've not seen and I would like to I don't know if you did it was called Little Mother I've not seen that one yeah which is like Bradley's take off on the Eva Peron story but no Spanish people or money involved it was uh, West Germany Yugoslavia and uh, we have uh, lots of people interesting people in this movie I know it's a, it's not as available as it used to be but if I dig around I could probably find it I mean we have uh, Mark Damon Anton Differing uh, Siegfried Rausch, who was in the Edgar Wallace films, he was oh, yeah. the, uh, Sir John. Siegfried so, Schoenberg. Well, Siegfried Schoenberg, but I think Siegfried Rausch also played a similar character, if, if I'm Probably wrong. right, yeah. Anyway, this movie is about a woman in a South American country, struggling actress, becomes wife of the president, blah, blah, blah. I don't think there's any singing in this
0: movie, but. <laughs> I was thinking that before. I'm like, well, Patty LaPone wasn't exactly Spanish, and you know, the guy playing Che Guevara in there that wasn't Spanish. So. <laughs> Who Welcome was Evita. That? I don't even Oh, remember. was that Antonio Banderas? So he was Spanish. Uh, yeah. Well, in the, the stage musical, I don't know if he's in the movie. No, no, no. The,
1: movie. the movie. But this brings us to score. Yes. Seventy four, and things
0: are changing. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I uh, think you hear I'm kind of sighing here. Well, um, this one, I'll just go right to my notes, was adapted from one of those cheesy early 70s off-Broadway erotic plays like Oak, Calcutta, and Hare and brought New York City stage actress Claire Wilbur, who was also the Chris Jordan sex floater of Teenage Hitchhikers, to the film version as well. Some folks consider this straight-up adult film, given a few questionable gay scenes, for which they brought in one of the industry's biggest stars, Casey Donovan. But the audiences for such fare would be really disappointed in this one, because it's really a softcore film aside from a few minutes that are often edited from release versions. A pair of swingers advertised for partners, which draws in young post-hippie couple Lynn Lowry as the naïve wife and her hubby, who is Donovan. Oddly, Larry doesn't seem to know what she's in for, even though she answered his damn ad, pulling the shock Catholic schoolgirl shtick at all of Wilbur's sexual advances, her offers of poppers, and her screwing of the telephone repairman, and Eric Edwards' lookalike named Carl Parker, who Metzger would use to greater effect in the next film together. Apparently, in the stage version, Sylvester Stallone had this part, which is interesting. Even more oddly, neither member of the young couple appears to clue into the fact that their new pals are looking for same-sex relations. It goes a bit far off into Wakefield Pool territory, and the young couple become another a pair of bisexual swingers before credits roll. It's a lot smaller scale and cheaper than anything he's filmed to date or would subsequently, and even the minor aesthetics of the little villa everything takes part in are barely covered by Metzger's camera. It's the sort of picture that can only come from the bi curious 70s when ACDC meant something other than an Australian hard rock and boogie band, and Rocky Horror and John Waters' pictures were more than just midnight movie fare. Don't be fooled, it's not an equal playing field here. The female side is clearly suggested but never explicit, only the gay scenes going to triple X territory. Um, thanks <laughs> sheesh so I will uh, turn it over to you for this and then the, the next two films as well 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 Score
1: Score is uh, a very interesting film because you know it's at this period now we've we already started Deep Throat, we've already seen American hardcore stuff going on and Mona uh, lots of movies that have really opened the door for adult films and uh Probably behind the green door, Devil and Miss Jones too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is like a year later, and so yeah, as you mentioned, this was based on an off Broadway play, which did feature Sylvester Stallone. I you never know; he might have been finding the role. It's it's really hard to <laughs> tell. You know, <laughs> seriously though, we don't know. We didn't see it. You know, I I've seen people on stage that do fine work, and you know it's. it's some of the stuff on, on in movies has been uneven and vice versa. So, you know, there's that. This is an interesting film because I think he's trying to tap into what's popular. And I, I think the movies he really wanted to make prior to this as a director, as a, a uh, creator of art prior to this film, I, I think may have not done well financially for him. Yeah, you know, and he's still working with his own he's still working with his own distribution company. Whoa. I Roger. sound like of Bacaro. Uh, <laughs> so, Hardcore has an in now and so he makes this movie. Now, interestingly enough, as you pointed out, there's the the homosexual porn elements to the story and to a few minutes of Hardcore in this film. It didn't alarm me so much, I mean, because it it appears in other films. Uh, Actually, since you brought it up, I thought Calvin Culver, a.k.a. Casey Donovan, was actually a decent actor. Yeah, that's true. He was, yeah, you know, and I don't think he was so,
0: so much a lunkhead or a, you know, physique ab. Yeah, he's not Jack Stryker or whatever his name was when he was in uh, Zombie 4.
1: (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah. Somebody really caught and like, blah, blah, blah.
0: No, I think this guy was a
1: decent actor. He liked to suck cock. What do you want? So, So, well. and and Boy. (laughs) Going to the 90s. (laughs) Yeah, but let's just get to the the gist of the story here. So, uh, (laughs) I guess well aware of this fact, he was cast. And um, it's an interesting movie. It's one of the films that Lynn Lowry has spent almost a whole post career saying she was in. Again, that's another story. Uh, For the past
0: fifty years, you know, I was in this (laughs) movie. Okay. Uh, So, (laughs) well, she's gonna push. I drink your blood. (laughs) Shivers. I mean, shivers could be okay. Uh, Fighting man. Shivers,
1: Shivers would be okay. Yeah. The crazy. Well,
0: that's
1: a fun one. That's, that's a fun it. one, but she's not much a crazy. So I remember that. No, not at all. So uh, this would bring us up to the private afternoons of Pamela Mack,
0: correct? Yes. that's correct. And this is one of the ones that I have not seen. Here he oh. goes full on hardcore. Uh, he's directing as Henry Paris now, um. and there's a lot of relatively big names in here i mean some people may or may not know sonny landham he was in some straight um, straight not meaning straight versus gay but 48 in,
1: hours predator yeah normal yeah. films
0: he was basically in these things and he also appeared in some hardcore darby lord reigns mark stevens eric edwards jamie gillis i mean there's a lot of big names in this one in terms of this georgina spelvin but again it's one of those films that i have not been able to see yet oh i i, I like this one huh. Not because I
1: I have an inclination toward perviness, but because <laughs> Barbara maybe Barbara please, Bur- Bur- gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> no, because Barbara Bur- bourbon, sorry, bourbon. She plays Pamela Mann, the, the title Pamela Mann, a married psychotherapist. She's in Manhattan, and, you know, she's working with her her husband. It's a very thinly veiled thing going on. So her husband suspects her of cheating, right? Okay, you're with me on this And Mm -hmm. she hires a private detective Which is uh, our guy Eric Edwards And To follow her around You know, to film the clandestine Activities, etc So, you know what This movie goes totally off the fucking rails She gets kidnapped By like radicals Like, uh, who was the girl that said she was kidnapped Uh, Patty Hearst (laughs) Patty Hearst
0: The S.L.F. or like,
1: yeah, right. There's a Patty Hearst thing. There's like a guy with a big dick that makes her like fillet him. There's, fe- well, he, he had a like really thick fucking cock. I don't know how she did. You also spill my wine out here. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. There's a lesbian scene with like this really radical, which was very popular. At this time. There was a scene with this radical feminist uh, lesbian. They seduce each other, or she seduces her. Like, cannot quite remember but I will say that being his first full-on hardcore film there's something indicative of this that, that will be for quite quite a few years is that Bradley Metzger directing as Henry Paris and he took an, an adult hardcore film, a sex film, and tried to do something different with it early on in the game and oddly enough, I mean, that's why to me, I think he's one of the best directors who made movies in this milieu. Because I think he is the best. He, yes, yeah, one of the best. There's a few of them. There's, there's a few of them. Uh, a few of them. Spinelli, yes. Uh, yeah. Spinelli, yes, yes, yes. If we ever get around to speaking to Howie Gordon, who worked with him quite often, A.A. Richard Pacheco, mm-hmm. that's another story. We can get some insight into this stuff. Uh, If we ever get to talk to Eric Edwards, again, Mm. we'll get insight into this stuff. It's a plane! Boss! (laughs) Uh, Okay, what I'm trying to say, folks, is that...
0: Hey, boss, the plane, the plane.
1: Yes, thank you. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is, this is the kind of movie after... Uh, you, you need some preemptive you know discussion going into it. If somebody says, oh, no, they're all about sex. They degrade women. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. No. You watch this movie. You show this movie to somebody. And again, you get the same argument. You say, fuck you. Go away. Just give up. Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> no, otherwise no, this is a good argument movie. And a couple of more we will discuss because this is the well, he, he now took the eroticism he was trying to work with in his previous movies, knew he was working with a different era of film, how this stuff was making money, and, you know, who wants to lose money. So I believe, okay, another thing is, I believe that that Metzger took a look at what was available as far as actors. We're going to work in quotations here, okay? In this time period, (laughs) 1973-74, he said, okay, who can really fucking act? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we have the much maligned Darby Lloyd-Rain, so like whatever her real name was. She was decent in a couple of things. She really worked her hard. Barbara Burden. Alan Marlowe always did good work. Eric Edwards. Yes. Top Georgina. Of line. Yeah, Georgina. Jamie Gillis. Yep, second top of the line. Sonny Lanham, as much you could joke about the guy. The guy was an actor. Mark Stevens, he had 10 inches dick, but you know what? He, like a lot of other people, probably worked his worked his way. Worked worked the, yeah, in theatrical, and theater. Yeah, I piped it off, off, off Broadway, you know. I'm sure a lot of these guys worked hard. And I don't for a minute think that Bradley Metzger would, at this time period, choose someone who couldn't act. Yeah. Especially when, you know, you, you know, he has another thing going I Also, he was working with Bill Margold on this. And Bill Margold is a guy who was championing free speech ever since the way the fuck back then. When? Hmm. You know, yep. unfortunately, he passed away. I would love to have talked to that guy. So, yeah, I, I like this film. It's very well photographed. Now, let's get to the other stuff. The sex is pretty smoking. And uh would it be a turn off to a woman? I don't know. You have to roll with the story, because the whole thing is it's a free spirited woman. Y'all, that's the whole that's the whole thing about this. That's the zeitgeist about this. There's a couple, and the woman is more free spirited than the guy. So the guy suspects infidelity, so he hires a private detective to follow the woman, who's like fucking everybody. <laughs> and so, but the thing is, she's a free spirit. That's what makes her happy. Whether her vagina is plunged. Or whatever, you know, and and so it's a film about this. So I, I (laughs) you're laughing, you're laughing,
0: but I think the next movie is a lot more interesting, actually. Yeah, so next up is uh, Naked Came the Stranger, which is the other one of these. Not the other one, it's actually the second of three that I have not seen. But we've got a different cast this time. Darby Lloyd Reigns and Alan Marlow are still there, but now they've got Helen Madigan, who I think was, if I'm not mistaken, that one that went around as Aunt Peg, one of those, uh, I guess, if you like that, Gilfie types. And Mark Stevens oh. is in here as an uncredited part, uh, but the rest of the people I don't even recognize. So I have not seen this one.
1: Uh, Helen Madigan was not... Aunt Peg. That was oh, Juliet
0: yeah. Anderson.
1: But, uh, Helen did, uh, you know, it's funny that you brought her name up. She did play Guilty Rolls, well, not Gilfie, Melfie roles later on. But, this is an interesting movie. I really like this one because you have these two, a uh, couple that are radio TV hosts. that got Darby Lloyd Rains and Alan Marlowe, two, two of the best actors he had in this previous movie, as like, uh, you know, sort of a who is the guy he used to be on that radio show? Long John, Long Don Silver? <laughs> no, 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 no. The guy, no real radio show. He's talking about UFOs oh. all the time. I uh, don't dumb, it was. Uh, I was thinking about the guy voice. that he could tie his dick in a knot. <laughs> no, I wasn't talking about <laughs> sex. I wasn't talking about sex. See,
0: you talking about me? <laughs> I uh, remember being in class and some guy had pictures of him, and he's like holding it. He had like a uh, what do you call those binders? And he had a porno right. magazine inside it, and he would hold it up over his head. And everybody start laughing, and that's what it was like. <laughs> oh,
1: no, I know him. And I've seen pictures of him. No, no, no. Long,
0: long John somebody or, other, or some,
1: something like that. He had a he had a, a radio show. Uh, on a lot of the New York uh, stations. So you talk about weird stuff, UFOs, blah, blah, blah. And he was very popular. So this is like a takeoff on that. You have this, this couple, again, it's a couple, a wife and a husband. They have this radio show. And it's just almost like a sequential takeoff on Naked Came the Stranger because. No, Sorry, the previous film, this is Nick and Kim Stranger, the previous film we just discussed, which was. Yes, thank you. Pamela Mann, which is how far do we want to take this stuff? Interesting is a lot of cast members in this movie I do not recognize, and it's very well photographed, but Darby Lloyd Reigns definitely takes it to another level. Some of her <clears throat> um, scenes are really quite scintillating and it's a really good film I understand though that it disappeared from video for a number of years for a variety of reasons um, there's like an anal scene or two which for some reason became like a no-no in the world and it's like everybody fucks in the ass what's up with that mm. so uh, yeah you, you snick. Now, but there was a period where it would not even show that, you know. Just now. Yeah, no, you don't know this. This is true. Yeah, there was a period of time, but these kind of movies where this happened, or these were, you know, you know, you get hot. Yeah, I don't want to get into it. Yeah, but it's like, you know, (laughs) you know what I'm talking about, but it's like, when they they made, these, they had good scenes, and that was like the a thing that happened in a particular scene. And what happened was, at some point in time, the powers that be, whoever they may mysteriously be, decide that you can't have that. And so either the film got like disappeared for a while, or they cut it out. And then you, you know, people like, how do you cut around? We just cut the whole thing out. And so people end up cutting whole scenes.
0: It's funny too that you're saying that how how hot uh, Darby rains is because she was reminded of me of like Janis Joplin. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: no, I mean, I, I thought she was because you know sometimes that that ordinary how do you say? It? Well, she's she's playing a radio host. She's playing a New York woman. These are very New York centric movies too, by the way. Yes, and she's she's playing this ordinary. Oh, there's a great sex scene on double decker bus, which to this day. I don't know how they shot, and there are a number of of, uh, Radley uh, uh, audio commentaries on a couple of discs I've seen, and I just don't have the time in my life to listen to all of them, because I'm still behind on so many audio commentaries, but I would love to hear the story about that one. Really, really good stuff. I like this movie, and I think it's, again, one of the classics of a particular time
0: period. Okay, so uh, next up, he does The Image, which... You know, those who have ever followed Third Eye know that this is a real big one for me. I never really thought of it as a hardcore film. Uh, technically, I don't think it's directed by Henry Paris, quote-unquote. It is a, a rallying massacre film. Yes. And interestingly, it's written by Catherine Roegrelet, the uh by all accounts, uh, Dom, wife of Alan Rogue gruelay who did a whole bunch of, Kind of quirky films of which probably the most famous to Art House audience would be last year at Marienbad. And, you know, those who were Video Watch subscribers know that Tim Lucas championed him constantly. Uh, there's also a couple of, uh, there's a box set or two of his stuff that came out not that long ago that's actually pretty good as well. Now, as I've seen my notes here, now this was the Rally Metro picture that brought me into the fold originally. It's mm. still by far my favorite, if not the best of all of his films. And Franco's Eugenie de side aside, the single best s and picture ever lands bar none. Uh, ah. Mary Mendham also known as Rebecca Brooke who is also known for her stage work in Jesus Christ Superstar and later for her soft and hardcore films with Max Pekus and especially Joe Sarno but here she plays the Lynn larry part of the submissive young ingenue in the middle of an S&M relationship between Scores telephone man, Carl Parker and old lady Marilyn Roberts whose hard-bitten looks and hairdo leave her coming off more like a kinky 60-year-old than the 40-something dom she's supposed to be is saying herein even so there's more than just one twist to be enjoyed in this menage a trois, and a whole shitload of kink, inclusive of public urination, warming handfuls of grapes and olives in the personal oven, if you will, uh, a very suggestive sequence relating to roses and thorns, which leaves our heroine visibly excited in ways you can't exactly hide, uh, <laughs> sex in a public phone booth at midday, a closed shopping freeway with a random sales girl, and some other things I'll shy away from describing in detail. So you get the idea. Parker falls for much to the 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 chagrin of Roberts, who goes overboard one night, forcing men out of their little tête-à-tête, but eventually everything works out when the old lady Dom discovers that she's actually a switch. The Locations are less impressive than some other Mesker works, particularly those set in Europe, but he does make the best of a few French tourist spots and a number of street scenes. The sheer amount of public kink that went down in this film is mind-boggling and to think this was likely semi-autobiographical for the, the Robe Grelets I absolutely love this film in the third eye review for Misty Beethoven I called the image an amazing s film marked by dazzling visuals surprising Paris locations and a strong cast particularly the fearless and stunning Mary Mendham aka Rebecca Brook stage actress and veteran of hair as well as vital centerpiece of the strongest of Sarno's films during his 70s post-Swedish venture above and beyond its aesthetic virtues it was further the greatest s film ever lensed featuring some truly daring set pieces that continue to raise eyebrows to the present day so that's what i got to say on this one how about you
1: i think you like this movie oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) no i I quite like it a lot and um it's interesting as as he goes full throttle with the uh, last few pictures we discussed he kind of pulls back a little bit on one level but goes crazy exactly with the other so, I, I, you know, it's a funny, it's a funny thing. I got a thing for Rebecca Burke, and aka Mary Rendham, or whatever hell her name is, because I saw this French Max Picas directed movie called Felicia. It was released under a variety of titles, uh, and I first saw softcore on the Deuce, 42nd Street. I was like, wow, wow, this is a really good movie. And then I saw it on the Deuce. A couple of years later Hardcore I was like Wow, wow. And everybody told me Oh no there's no hardcore of That existing." Oh yeah I just saw it And so It took a couple of years To find out that it's a Like like a lot of Joe Sarno movies There's a hardcore And a softcore version Yeah and, and this is definitely The hardcore version Of what I saw And I be, immediately Became a Rebecca From Mary Mendel fan, And I saw A lot of the stuff She was in Which led me back To this movie Which had come out Before I discovered her because somehow I missed it in the Bradley Metzger canon, and yeah, it's really transgressive in many ways. It's very interesting, yeah, but it's like very art to... house at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's very art house, and so in a way, I guess it's I guess Metzger was doing what he could do with the hardcore. He's just entering in that whole thing, so he probably was like let me step back a little bit, but get really kinky.
0: Yep, and so uh, that's what happened there. Exactly, I mean it's close enough. It points to being hardcore. It's very, at least it's very hard R. If you can put it that way, yeah. but it's not technically a hardcore film, which is why it was a Radley Metzger film rather than a Henry Paris one. And maybe why you missed it because it was in True. the middle of his you know four or five film stretch as Henry Paris. So, um, next up, we go to the opening of Misty Beethoven, which is really the best of his hardcore films, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Uh, Certainly Mm. the most famous Mm. and the most lauded. Here's some tidbits just from my review over Third Eye Cinema. Featuring yet another stunning lead in the gorgeous Constance Money, as well as the story of Joanna Team, which is another good one, by the way, Jamie Gillis and former ballet student Terry Hall, the film is further people with the likes of gay porn headliner Casey Donovan and E.E. Calvin Culver, and outspoken High Society magazine editor Gloria Leonard, whose lined world-weary face and close-cropped mannish haircut leaves her something more of a déclasse version of Jacqueline Pierce's Servalon from Blake 7. Metzger delivers his usual European location hopping, Paris and Rome are both represented, with a gorgeous estate somewhere in New Jersey, believe it or not, utilized for the more impressive the interior sequences. The only porn films to even approach Misty Beethoven, either visually or in terms of the appearance of having such a lavish budget, were insatiable, to a lesser extent, surely of Joanna with its palatial setting. The true star of the picture is Jamie Gillis, an industry veteran probably best described as a more handsome, far less neurotic Elliot Gould with maybe a dash of kisses Paul Stanley for good measure. Gillis was described to me by none other than this exploitation <laughs> legend to Roberta Family quite accurately as styling himself as a sort of Oxford professor. <laughs> Unlike the image, there's little about Misty Beethoven that's actually erotic in the proper sense. It's like a European softcore film. It may titillate, but it never really follows through in the sense of the average fuck film. It's hard, if not impossible, to see your stereotypical lonely guy using this as a tool to get off, it's the appetite to set the mood, not the main course, as it were. More akin to his earlier, often critically lauded efforts like the Licorice Quartet and score stylistically, Metzger directs Misty Beethoven like the disciple of Fellini he so often shows himself to be. Like the early Tinto Brass, he carries the op-art Lichtensteinian feel of psychedelia and the Italian *Fumetti* film, which includes such visual feasts as The Tenth Victim, Baba Yaga, The Frightened Women and Diabolic, as well as the much later Valentina series that ails a compilation film on Cinemax in orientation. Art and architecture take center stage, even above and beyond on the characters involved, more attention is paid to sets and setting. It's essentially the Pygmalion or My Fair Lady story gone porn, but for the most part, it's so well done and upmarket tone. Kind of like Sarno's mid-70s work. This may be hardcore, but it's very much softcore, if not mainstream cinema in feel, those certain scenes aside. Again, good cast, great look, great aesthetics, and uh, a very good film. How do
1: I follow that up? (laughs) (laughs) Right, very well done. Very well done. <laughs> so, uh, no, really. It's, it's, how do you follow it up? Um, <clears throat> yeah, you pretty much said it all. Uh, Constance Money is the star of this film. And she's certainly a new face, a new look. And maybe that fit the whole Pygmalion theme of this whole thing we're discussing here. You know, uh, The movie she was in, she wasn't in too many of these films. Maybe Ingenue. She was hot. She got in the business. She got out of the business. It wasn't for her. Whatever the story may be, a very interesting film. Although, although I won't agree that it's Metzger's best film. It's definitely one of his best films. And you have a terrific cast that you already, you already mentioned. Is very little you could say about the opening of *Misty Beethoven* that could be negative. I could put it. I could put that out there as uh, the uh, adult cinematographic movie it's definitely worth seeing and which is par for the course of why we're discussing this man's work tonight. Really a good filmmaker and his work transcends the genre he's in. So what do I mean by that? Okay, so he's dealing with triple X themes. Hardcore if we you know wanna look for the other word and, and it's just but it works. It works in the thematic aspects of what we're viewing. And, and it's another way to view this story, this ages-old story, this Shaw Pygmalion, yeah, which has been done ad infinitum over the years. Of which the best version I ever saw of this live, one of my digressions, was Peter O'Toole. Interesting. And uh, and Amanda, Amanda, she's a burnout now. She might have disappeared. Amanda, whatever her name was, Amanda, whatever her name was, she was in Cat People. <laughs>
0: Uh, I I liked your uh, transgrend, which was a, I do that a lot of kind of conflate words. So you're crossing transcend and transgressive, which is actually appropriate for Metzger. Uh, but thank you. I also uh, wanted to say about Constance Money. My understanding is that she was kind of a difficult figure. She kind of popped in and out. As far as I'm aware, this may have been her only quote-unquote filming experience in adult film. I'm not positive about that. But certainly for Metzger, because she's claiming that the scenes that wound up in his two subsequent films were actually filmed at the same time. And she kind of made a big deal. There was lawsuits and complaints and all kinds of crap going on for years. He had a lot of trouble with her. And, of course, you know, there are hard feelings on both sides, at least until he passed. You know, I imagine now things must be blown away. But that's my understanding, is she really thought or claimed she was only filming one film with him and it wound up being in three, which is kinda typical for porn to be honest with you. Or Jess Franco for that matter. So the next film that uh, he does was Barbara Broadcast. Some tidbits once again from my third eye review. With far less of a script and much more comedic silliness, the film bears a lightness and airiness far more pronounced than the touches of the same that enliven Misty Beethoven. While still foregrounding the aesthetics of location and featuring some rather attractive young ladies, culled from an often catch-as-catch-can industry in that respect, this is hardly Misty Part II, but an entirely different film. As a result, there's not a lot to say here by comparison with Misty, which had a lot more going on, so to speak, except to say that it's a beautiful picture. As always with Metzger, expect a lot of head and not enough good old-fashioned pounding. That's another thing that's big with Metzger, you see a lot of blowjobs. But with kinks more hinted at than explored, uh, there were far more raunchy pictures floating around there back in the day, let's just put it that way. And for the Man Who Home what is likely the greatest SM film of all time in my opinion, that's a bit surprising. Though the Gillis Money sequence and the trailer for Maraschino Cherry do promise a bit more thrills in that particular arena. And it can't be said that the kitchen sequence lacks for the presence of a certain kink for those into that end of the fetish spectrum. You'll know this when you see it, I assure you. Fun, sort of sexy, but not really raunchy enough for my taste. A cheesier, poppier music score. Misty was far more dramatic and European, by contrast. As much as an aesthetic and soundtrack is continent-hopping fact and a brighter, more pastel-based palette Mark Barber broadcasts as a very different picture of Misty, and the long silences conspicuously absent of dialogue just hammer that point home. With little in the way of actual plot, this is more, quote, modern in approach than the former picture. While no constant is money, Annette Haven is quite stunning and co-star and poster center CJ Lang, who bears the unique distinction of being one of the most 70s-looking women I've ever seen on film, it is both Streisand-esque and enthusiastic about her scenes, this is really all Lang and Haven's show. The end result here is something of a visual feast, albeit not so much as Misty was, but there's not a lot to chew on intellectually or in terms of after-viewing discourse. Think of it as featuring like cotton candy, not incredibly filling, but tasty and enjoyable enough while it's rolling around in your mouth. Wow, <laughs> I like these like fucking mini mini uh, wow. Well, they're accepted from print reviews that are much longer. So, those who are interested, go ahead on over to Third Eye and look them up. They're still out there. He's plugging himself. Uh, <laughs> when don't I? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, yeah, it's very good.
1: It's very good. Uh, I like these mo- I like this movie a lot. I really do. Well, you kind of. Hit the nail on the head, so to speak This is really good for blowjob Aficionados uh, This movie has some really Well done scenes Of such thing I just described And <laughs> uh, C.J. Lang, oh, what's that? C.J. Lang and was it, Wade, Wade Nichols? Yeah. Wow That's a very, that's heavily erotic That's a kitchen scene,
0: right? Yes, yeah, it's a, kitchen scene. Yep. Yeah, it's a very erotic. it's very. We don't even have to describe it. It's kind erotic. of infamous. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, it's not even describe it. But the kitchen scene is really good, and uh, yeah, I liked it because it's comedic. I'm like, where the hell did they shoot this? And you know, it's like this big New York uh, restaurant, come you know, club place where everybody knows everybody. It's just great. The waiters come over. It's like, oh, jerk off in the plate for you, madam, or the, the, the waitress will come over, like, well, if you want me to blow you, you can fuck me. And they got this really nonchalant, like, yeah, that was fine. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> um, really interesting. Like, everybody's in this. But you got, the thing I thought was interesting about this, is this is the appearance. This movie features the appearance of some people that would turn up in twisted roles in later films, like Seventy Colt was in this. Susan McBain is in a Sharon Mitchell, legendary. Uh, there's quite a few characters that he cast in this film. I think it's a great movie. It all works. Yes, it's comedic in parts. It's very twisted. You have to think it's journalist. She's super famous. She's super famous. And she's being interviewed by this apparently well-known interviewer at this well-known eatery, come whatever it is, spot, and it's just like, that's pretty much the story. There's some digressions going on during it. But it's like so twisted. It's so crazy it works. And, you know, if, if you want yourself to go with the flow of it, it's quite entertaining in many ways. In many ways. And yet, I, I find that the the early appearance of a lot of people who would be twisted fucks and lots of other genre product later on would make early appearances in this. And I always found that really very interesting.
0: So uh, next up is Maraschino Cherry, which I really wanted to see from the trailer. But, again, it's one of those ones that I have not seen yet. So hint, hint, uh, you know who you are. <laughs> this one's uh, got some of the same cast. You know, Gloria Leonard's in this. Uh, Annette Haven, Constance Money, as we mentioned. C.J. Lang, Wade Nichols. Eric Edwards is in this one. But also uh, Leslie Beauvais, who I always liked. If you read the old Third Eye Cinema reviews of all those Vinegar Syndrome movies, but again, I have not seen it yet, so I have to leave it to you. Yeah, uh, I, I saw this in the theater. Shh,
1: and <laughs> and I always liked this one. It was it was it's it's got a lot of mix of the cast of the last two uh, Metzger Henry slash Henry Paris movies. It's it's you know, we got Anna Haven CJ. Money, Eric Edwards, Gloria Leonard, Leslie Bowie, Susan McBain, Wade Nichols, so on and so forth. And in a way, it's like vignettes. We're talking about vignettes. And does it work as a whole? Probably not. Is it entertaining? It depends on what you come looking for. Is it lesser entertainment than the last few Metzger-Harris pictures we discussed? It might be. Because in this case, we're, we're coming up to 78 we're in 1978 now, so, you know, uh, adult cinema has certainly got some major inroads into theatrical distribution. V8 home video hasn't happened yet, but it's also starting to get a pushback. It's starting to get a pushback, yeah. But this is a movie where it was, the scenes were so hot and so scintillating and so boundary yeah, there's just some really wild stuff in this movie. It's, it's. I mean, if you're looking for transgressive sex, it's here. If you're looking for really hot sex, it's here. This is a film, though, that I thought Bradley Metzger slash Henry Paris, a.k.a. Henry Paris, started to play more for the Rainco crowd, for lack of a better word, than he was for himself or maybe for his
0: idealism's. No, it's just is less of a personal film, I think, for him. And that's probably why it was basically his last in this genre, because now he goes back same year and does a mainstream film. And of all things, it's, um, I don't want to say big budgeted, but it's certainly got a big name cast, which was The Cat and the Canary. The trick with this one, again, I have seen it. I have a copy somewhere, but unfortunately I was unable to locate it to uh, give some more recent notes the trick is that it is of all the versions of this play, alright, this this has been around since the silent era, and there have been various versions, usually under the same title, but you're kind of used to the hoary tropes of the old dark house by now. Uh, Certainly from Agatha Christie's and then there were none or ten little Indians if nothing else, but you know, many many versions of this kind of film. And here it's surprisingly dry. Even uh, there was a version of indians that uh, harry allen towers produced that recently came out on blue and that was nice for its atmosphere and its its surrealism in a way its dreaminess but it was probably the worst of the ones that i'd seen as opposed to this one here where it's really is kind of the worst (laughs) uh, despite its cast because you have Honor Blackman, Kathy Gale from the uh, when we discussed the Avengers, the TV series. And also uh, Pussy Galore from the Bond films, we discussed that a couple times. You have Michael Callan, who was kind of a, a regular character actor from that era. You'd see him in a lot of stuff on TV as well as uh, in film. Olivia Hussey, who was kind of up and coming at the time. A big deal from uh, what was it Bertolucci's uh, Romeo, Romeo and Juliet, and, Juliet. and, yeah. mm-hmm. and also in, uh, what was that ridiculous one, something 2000, uh, the Australian film, that was so gross. Escape. Escape. Escape 2000, that was it. Carol Lindley, who was in things like The Shuttered Room, poking around since the 60s, she was kind of a name. Daniel Massey, you know, he'd seen a lot of character things. Wilfred Hyde White, again, British character actor, he would go on to things like uh, Buck Rogers within a couple of years. So it's not like he got a crappy cast. It's not like the material wasn't already kind of well seasoned. You know, people have done this uh, play or versions of it many, many times before. And yet something about this is just flat. I mean, the cinematography was flat. The cast didn't really seem to be into it. He offers nothing new to what's going on here and in fact less than other people lesser directors have put into it so I don't know if it was kind of a last gasp at respectability it's like well hey I gotta road back out of these porn films that I'm kind of losing my taste for and it didn't work out and therefore that's kind of the end of his career he does a few things later on mostly uncredited but not many but that's kind of the vibe I took away from it you know critics agree that it doesn't work I thought it didn't work what's your take on this one I was up to Really? <laughs> okay, what about it?
1: I, I really like this. I really like this movie. And actually, it was not released here. It actually first came out in the UK. And Tom Weaver of all people gave me a disc of this, because he had like a lot of them for some fucking reason. And uh, he said, oh, I think you're going to like this. I said, I already it, but thank you for giving me one. And then it finally came out here. I, I always liked this film. Okay, Why? Because I think it hits on something that's really interesting. You mentioned a really good point. This is 1979, 78, 79. So all these character actors or genre actors already, by then, are up there Yeah. to be generous. And so what I'm looking at is like, okay, so we have middle-aged people in these roles. So we have middle aged people like, uh, okay, Wilfred Hyde White is already like 140 years old, so <laughs> he's he's the Cyrus West. You know, he's the guy who's, you know, doing the pre recorded uh, 16 millimeter thing, like, you're all at my house because, you know, the whole thing. So Carol Lindley, who's like beyond Milfie, she's just like an old lady. You know, she's not old. She's, <laughs> let's say she's somewhere between 40 and 50, okay? Yeah. And that's about the average age for all these characters. Let's just say I like that because you know I was a younger guy when I saw this movie, but I said you know what it's a different take and I like that, and I enjoyed the hell out of it. It was it was played almost part pantomime, you know, like part theatrical, like it it could have been they could have did this as a stage play, and part kind of twisty because like, Ever Fox, of all people, everybody remembers Ever Fox, uh, Day of the Jackal. Ever Fox appears mid movie. Oh, okay, it's Ever Fox. And he's a twisted fuck. And he's, like, removing people's faces or shit like that. And you like, wait a minute. This is kind of weird. And, you know, what's removed about this is there's no sensuality, there's no sexual. It's all oh, yeah. implied. And, and, and whatever is implied. It's based on these characters' liking for each other. I really like this. I thought it was very sweet, un, very underrated thriller. And I think it's really a shame that yeah, Peter McEnery, beside the terrible From Beyond the Grave, remember that? Yes. Uh, that was the in their Amicus show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a couple other things, but that was supposed to be his big let's try to make him a name here and what the movie saw kind of thing. Um <laughs> I really like this And I still do I think it has a certain sweetness It has a certain charm And sometimes we don't have to You know, this just goes out to all my friends out there You don't have to be hit over the head sometimes with something I I really like this I still do But, see And you, you had a very good lead into this though for most audiences, it didn't do the trick because we're talking in a time period. We already hit, got hit with Halloween. Yep. We we already got hit with you know, low budget horror thriller. The beginning of the gore period. We already got hit with extreme sex films that Metzger had already made, which apparently he's not making now. But as you noted, uncredited, he might go back to to make a living. So unfortunately this is the last gasp. but I really enjoyed this film and uh, I hope I'm not alone out there but uh, uh, I mean we disagree but we have to because that's why we're doing this okay. uh, but uh, no I
0: really like this movie and I still do like I always say this is the lead word of cult <laughs> but uh, yeah you know, basically from here on, that's really it by most sources. Yeah. Uh, anybody that you know, you talk to that's kind of, I don't want to say mainstream, but somebody that's a little bit less, you know, hitting uh, certain sites on the Internet would say, oh, yeah, that's it. That's the last thing he ever did. He did do a couple of uncredited, you know, co-directions, uh, things with Jerk Queen, for example. Uh, and then he did one supposedly in 1986. I have not seen any of these things. Uh, Presumably, he might be shooting on video by that point, because that's where kind of the the porn market went. Long since, by 86, geez. Uh, That's way after they stopped doing theatricals. And, you know, that's kind of it. So, is there anything else you want to close out with about Radley? He was... uh uh,
1: Bradley Metzger was recognized by the Film Society of Lincoln Center in 2014, which is not that long ago. And he got a... Uh, they had a look back on all his films, and they showed quite a bit of his movies, including his adult films, and there's some actors that appeared, and he was there. And I'm sure that was a very nice to have that, if not the word acceptance, but that recognition. I think, I think a lot of people did that. It was followed up by... Uh, an equally interesting thing at MoMA Museum of Modern Art also had a Metzger thing going on there. Filmmaker magazine, uh, which used to be Films and uh, Films and Filming or something like that, in 2017, the online version of that had a Metzger acknowledgement. So it seems to be late in life. Suddenly people said, "Oh God, these movies aren't just for J.O. material. You know, there are actually entertainment, something more going on here." And hopefully that's what we did here. We were trying to turn people on to the fact that, you know, some of this stuff is art. Uh, he passed away not too long ago, March 2017. He was 88, but the guy still looked great. I understand of undisclosed sources, but it could be just like gold age. It's pretty
0: much our Radley Metzger show. I hope you enjoyed it. Yes, and uh, that is the wrap to our Season 5. Season 6, stay tuned, but shows that we have in mind and are pretty much on board for doing. We're going to be doing ones on the films of William Shatner. I'm not talking the Star Trek films. We're talking about the cult films he did. Things like Impulse and the Esperanto film that he had done, uh, Incubus and Devil's Rain and... Kingdom of Spiders. Kingdom ah, of yeah. Spiders, that slash you from the visiting hours. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll be talking those. We're going to be doing Easy Riding with Cap, the films of Peter Fonda, a well, long-time favorite of mine. I'm going to show on Joe Don Baker, walk walks softly and carry yeah. a big stick. We're going to be doing one on Eddie Romero and possibly some other Filipino horrors. Yes. And I know we're going to be doing one on Mission Impossible. we we'll are talking the original yes. series, uh, the 88 to 89 revival series. And Uh the Space 1999 series will also be touched on. And Carlos Tobolino, we're finally going to be touching on the Uh insane, hardcore film career of Mr. Carlos Tobolino. So uh, we've threatened that many times. We've kind of talked about it since season one, and uh, we're finally going to do that. So stay tuned uh, sometime in the middle or later summer. all of Season six will be coming from us as well. So uh, anything else you want to say before we close out? Oh, thank
1: you so much for listening, and thanks for putting up with our chicanery. Uh, <laughs> we actually enjoy doing these, and, and we just hope that, you know, one of the things, we hope you like listening to the shows, but we also hope that it might make you want to check out some of these people's work. Oh, yeah. You know, you know like uh, go online and you know, check out the uh, download or something, or Netflix or Amazon Prime, or, you know, like uh, buy, the, buy the DVD, buy the Blu ray. If we spoke enough positively about a title about a filmmaker about a movie and it makes you want to check it out, go get it you know we're not getting anything out of this folks, but you know we're trying to turn you on to something or off <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yo yeah we're not we're not here promoting anything except we're discussing movies filmmakers actors genres, and as time goes by, it's becoming the descripted the the, the uh, amount of time between when these things came out, when these things were made, and now as we're speaking gets longer and longer. We want to keep that alive. Yep. You know so and, I, I, that's where we're coming from, I think.
0: And also just to keep these, you know, you let people know that there is something out there besides the usual mainstream crap that you're, yes. you're more or less yes. force-fed. I mean, the major studios will just force-feed crap down your throat if you let them. Uh, So if you want to keep eating pablum all your life, you know, stick with the Gerber baby food, then do what you got to do. But don't tell me that's art. It's just crap. And this stuff here, I mean, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of critics will say, oh, yeah, this filmmaker's low rent. This this film is crap. This genre is crap. But I've always found much more interesting stuff from the independents, from the outsiders, from auteurs, if you will, people that had a vision. And whether they had the money to do it or the means to do it, and the final product is another story but you know basically they're trying and you're seeing something interesting fascinating hilariously bad whatever the case may be a lot of these films are jaw-dropping and maybe we're not intended that way but that's the fun of them that's what really is entertaining about the sort of films and television that we discuss and hopefully that will infect some of you that are not already cult film fans uh to go out and find some of this stuff out for yourself and not just sit there and watch whatever crappy TV shows on this week or the latest Marvel film or whatever. So uh, thanks for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed our little drawing room chat on Radley Mesker. And we already told you about the upcoming season, our plans for that. So if you'd like to contact us here, if comments, suggestions, or you're a filmmaker or musician would like to join us on air, drop us a line on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1, or our website, weirdscenes1.wordpress.com. We're also on Twitter, at weirdscenes1. And uh, Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine is brought to you by the Big Papa Online Network on Block Talk Radio. <laughs> At 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Tune into Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early 90s. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by Boardman committee. These are the problems of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. What is At Eye Level? A you ad absurd and look at the headlines politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. We we'll try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level. Bringing more to you. Only on the Big Poppa Network. On Blog Talk Radio. Join us on Tuesday nights at 6.30 Eastern for an exploration of the many roads and methods which promise to lead us to the ultimate answer, a higher purpose, the meaning of life.
1: I'm just like a lot of you, a middle-aged mom with piles of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard earned wisdom with you. So what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without his Scarlet Women? Who is by and far the largest audience of New Age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we discover?
0: Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the Yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality, the dark side, and the light, from the organized to the out of the way.
1: This show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various stops on the spectrum of spirituality and found
0: them ultimately unfulfilling. Join us for some hard earned lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value in what inevitably fails in organized practice, but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner, and fellow seekers of truth, in this journey towards life.
1: Moving Towards Life Lessons in Life and Spirituality from Unconventional Seeker.
0: Bringing more to you only here on the Big Papa Online Network, on Blog Talk Radio. Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Join us for Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment.
1: Drop in for a spell as Doc Savage, Lois Paul, myself. Discuss the beloved,
0: the cadence, the career, and the wonderful world of cult films, music, television, and more. We'll be covering classic films, shows, musicians, and literature of the past, with an eye towards what new visions may still arise from the soullessly derivative mire of our modern age.
1: Tune in turn on and take a step outside the mainstream as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema music and television right here on Weird rear
0: seats inside the gold mine only here on the big papa online network on blog talk radio
1: what's in store for your business this week at staples
0: doing business like a ceo while saving like a cfo staples has all the supplies you need to run your business like a boss at prices that'll make your bookkeeper smile now that is an achievement everything from markers and pens to 2019 desk calendars and right now a 12 pack of sharpie markers and an eight pack of expo dry erase markers are only $4.99 each at staples where there's a whole lot in store ends $119.19 in store only